Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today we're going to be uh, discussing a very difficult subject, and it's such an important subject. It's understanding blood pressure and dialysis. And today we have Sandy Corrigan. She's been uh, uh, in the nephrology community for over 30 years. She's a nurse practitioner in Ventura County, and she's a very dear friend of mine and has, you know, walked me through different things that I've needed to know through my life, and I am so happy she's on the show. So welcome to the show, Sandy. Well, thank you, Lori. Well, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, what is blood pressure? Just, you know, give for, for the people listening, they may not really even understand what that is. Well, it's the easiest way to describe blood pressure is just it's actually the measurement of an artery, and it's the force that the heart puts against the, that artery when it pumps. And the relaxation phase is the, the, the lack of force. In other words, when the heart pumps hard, you feel the first number, which is your systolic pressure. And then when the heart relaxes, you hear the second number or you, the second number stops and that's your diastolic number, which is the relaxation phase of the heart. So in looking at that, they can actually evaluate, you know, how hard the heart's pumping or if the heart needs to pump harder and also how it relaxes. So, you know, basically if the blood pressure is high, it's kind of like the pipes in your plumbing, right? Because it's just, it'll, it'll damage them if there's a lot of pressure in the pipes. Is that a good analogy? That, that was one of the ways that it was explained to me. I don't know if that's right. Um, yes, I think, I think that would be a good analogy for it. Another way I like to explain it to patients is if the blood pressure is really high and pushing hard, uh, that kind of inflates the vessels, and then when they relax, they, if they relax too much, then they tend to get floppy. So it's sort of like working out. If you pump too much and then relax too much, you get a little floppy. And sometimes the vessels get stiff, actually, when the heart pumps too hard. It's sort of like working a muscle in the arm. Well, what's, what's, what's a normal blood pressure? I mean, let's just start with that. What, well, you what know, would you consider? It, lately, actually, they've started um, reevaluating. They used to want blood pressures to be quite low. And now, especially in, like, dialysis patients or high-risk populations, they actually want the blood pressure to be a little bit more in the 130 over 80 or higher, up to 140 over 80. Um, when it starts hitting 150 over 90, we definitely need to start looking at some management. But they don't want it to go too low. They're finding a lot of problems with too low of blood pressure as well. And, I mean, if your blood pressure is too high, I mean, what is the highest blood pressure you've ever seen? I'm just curious. Oh, God. I've had patients in here that have had, you know, 240 over 120 and we're, then they're ready for a stroke. I mean, right. that's, a, that's a very dangerous, very dangerous blood pressure, especially when you're going on to a dialysis treatment and you hear your fluid volume is the highest, you're going to be given heparin possibly, and you have this massive blood pressure, if any vessels are leaking, you're going to be in some big trouble. So tell us a little bit about why people on dialysis are more at risk for high and low blood pressure. Maybe start with high. Well, the high blood pressures are basically have a lot to do with the, their um, chemistries, actually. Um, a lot of times sodium isn't cleared well now that the kidneys aren't working, so they hold on to more sodium, which causes, as everyone knows, blood pressure to go high. They always tell you to go on a low-sodium diet. 
problem with a low-sodium diet with our patients is often when you read low-sodium, it's also high potassium. So we have to always wear, warn them about low-sodium You mean products. in foods? Like, yeah, like the little mixes and stuff? It says, yeah, things that say they're low in sodium, you really have to read carefully because that's a, just another whole ball game there. Um, also, when, with our patients, when the blood pressure is really high, um, they are, like I said, they're going through high and lows with the volume in their in their circulatory system. In other words, they gain four kilos of fluid, and you're putting a lot of extra pressure against those vessels, including the vessels in the brain and in the heart. And it, you know, so the risk uh, once you go on a dialysis treatment with those blood pressures, and and then you may need to receive heparin. Um, a lot of our patients have anticoagulation therapy for other reasons. So when you have those high blood pressures and a blood vessel bursts, say, in the brain, well, you're talking a stroke. Right. So this is it's very dangerous with our patient population. The vessels are already compromised just, just due to the renal failure and the heart problems. I always say most of our patients have heart disease before they have kidney disease. Before they end up on dialysis, they've already got heart problems. So they come into it as a high risk already, and then they're put under the stress of us you know, putting them on the dialysis machine every other day and then pulling off a lot of fluid and the high and low blood pressures. So in that sense, it can be kind of dangerous. Well, and the thing is, is that, you know, the physician, you know, talks to the patient about how much fluid they should drink in between treatments. And can you explain a little bit about, because people may not really understand that. I've I've had people call me and they don't understand that, look, your kidneys no longer are working and putting out urine. So you hold everything you drink in between treatment. And that means your cup of soup, your ice cream, if you have it with you your phosphate anything, binders. Anything that melts down to a liquid, including the ice cubes, because people often think, oh, I'm eating ice, I'm not eating water, and that's like the silliest thing, because it's just frozen water. Right. Um, but what happens when the kidneys fail and you're not able to put out that excess water, um, and, it, and it's in varying amounts. Some patients do still urinate quite a bit. You know, a patient who has polycystic kidney disease, they put out a lot of urine, so there's really not a fluid restriction on those patients. Every the thing we have to remember with dialysis patients, Lori, is everybody's treatment is so individual. Right. If, if I still urinate, you know, a half a liter a day, it gives me a little more freedom than the person who doesn't put out any urine. So it's a very individual thing. But in general, a patient should not gain in fluid from the end of one treatment to the beginning of their next treatment. They really shouldn't gain more than 5% of their body weight. That's kind of the golden rule. Okay. So if a patient weighs 100 kilos, they really should not be gaining, you know, more than, and that's in pounds. So that's, that's you know, so 100 somebody, pound patient, you can't gain more than five pounds, which is two kilos, two and a half kilos, basically, right? Right, which isn't a lot. I mean, you know, it, it can, it, on a long weekend, which is, is difficult, that's why home dialysis is such a great option for so many people, especially peritoneal, because you can drink more. Well, you can. You have a little more freedom when you're doing your own management at home. Um, the problem sometimes is the patients get a little ahead of themselves on that, but at least you have the option, if you know you blew it on Saturday, to dialyze yourself on Sunday. More dialysis is always going to be the better option for anyone. So, you know, one of the things that I hear frequently from people and my friends is that they go on dialysis and then their blood pressure drops. Right, right. And they have low blood pressure when they're on dialysis. Can you explain maybe some potential reasons that could cause that? I mean, again, all of this is individualized. The patient needs to talk to their physician, but perhaps give them some insight in what they could do. There are a lot of different reasons a patient's blood pressure can drop during the treatment. So let me go over just a couple of them. The main obvious one is if you gain a lot of fluid 
and the technician has to take off a lot of fluid so they don't send you home with, you know, cumulative fluid building up. That in in itself, your body's not meant to lose. If you look at that bag of saline that's hanging on the machine, that's a kilo. Right. So if you have to take off five kilos off a patient, you're looking at five of those bags, and I've literally thrown those bags in a patient's lap and said, listen, this is really a lot of fluid. <laughs> you know, I know you tell me you're not drinking a lot of fluid, but this is what you weighed in at. And patients go, oh, I ate a lot. Well, you really don't gain body weight that quickly. Right. You know, not in two days. And when you eat a lot of sodium, it's impossible to control your fluid. It, it is impossible to control your fluid, and, and, and not only because it makes you thirsty, but because it holds on to every bit of fluid. Right. It makes your body like just hold on to it in the <laughs> tissues, not where we can get to it. Remember, we can only get fluid out of the blood. Right, as not it out of the tissues. So if that fluid is on you, but it's in your tissues, and it's not able to move, then we're not going to be able to get to it. And so a lot right. of times patients will come in with a lot of fluid on, and you, they, their pressure drops when they take the kilos off. Right. But we can't get more because it's not moving. Right. And that kind of leads to another reason that you have low blood pressure during your treatment or are not able to remove large volumes of fluid. And that would be the, the composition of your blood, basically. If your albumin is very low or your sodium is very high, the things that, A, hold on to fluid in the tissues, such as sodium, or B, make fluid move into your vessels like albumin, if your albumin is very low or your hemoglobin is very low, those things in the blood actually help draw fluid from the tissues. So if you don't have enough of those things, you're malnourished or your hemoglobin is very low, that fluid doesn't move from your ankle tissue into your bloodstream where we can get to it. So it makes the treatment that much more difficult. Right. No, it is. It's, it's, it's extremely frustrating and you cramp and you, it, you know, you I remember, I've cramped on dialysis. It's not very fun. <laughs> and then you have to give more saline, which makes the situation worse, right? Well, let me give a couple of tips on that because, yes, what we're doing is we're giving patients saline because we're trying to take fluid off and then they're crashing and we have to fill them back up with saline. So some of the things that I like to recommend on that is to try and use the patient's own saline first. And what I mean by that is if you turn off the UF rate and tip their feet up for, for a couple minutes, there, right. That fluid by gravity, literally by gravity, will flow back into the vascular space and back up to the core where your heart is, where it will be able to bring your blood pressure up. Right. Um, another thing that helps, sometimes I'll have patients who have a lot of lower extremity, their, their ankles are very swollen, I'll have them come in and put wraps on their legs, and like an ace wrap, mm-hmm. and it just helps push the fluid back up to the core. And right. that's where your blood pressure starts, is at the core, right? Where your right. heart is. So you want to maintain that blood pressure that way. Um, so, again, trying to use the patient's own saline is really important. Another thing that will help to move fluid across the tissue into the vascular space, and it's kind of, it works great because I've seen it on the crit lines, is if you put oxygen on a patient. Right. Now because I've seen that too. when you're on the too. dialysis treatment, you, you lose oxygen through right. the treatment just by the nature of it. And you've got one, one unit of blood outside your body during your treatment because it's in the lines in the machine, even though it's circulating back into you. That's still one one unit of blood, not there. So if your hemoglobin's already low, that makes it even lower. So that oxygen just helps to, you know, make you more stable during the treatment right. with the blood pressure. Well, it's interesting. When I was on hemo, um, you know, I would see, and, you know, I had the crit line running, but the my oxygen would just drop. 
it would just, and, and I would feel kind of nauseous, and it ended up that my bicarb was low. That was the reason that I, but I felt sick and like, you know, yucky, and um, I, I didn't have a lot of fluid to lose because I luckily maintained my um, kidney function for the year I was on dialysis to some extent because I didn't crash on dialysis. I, I mean, people don't realize when they're crashing, they can actually be hurting their diet, hurting their, their own yes. kidneys. Yes. Absolutely. When you let that blood pressure go too low, it, it definitely can affect your residual function. That's what they call the residual function, yes. which you want to maintain as much as you can because, like, you know, and one thing I, I, I hate to have to tell patients sometimes is when they have these repeated, either blood sugars continue out of control, which also makes you thirsty, by the way, or their blood pressure drops or it goes too high, stays high for a long time. All these things that used to affect your kidney when you were before dialysis, um, continue to affect your kidney if they're not controlled. Right. So if you go on dialysis because your kidney function is so low that you're feeling symptoms, you know, maybe you've got a 10% kidney function, but you're feeling sick, you go on and you're feeling better, well, that kidney function can continue to decline if you don't take care of yourself. Right. And these are some of the things that you have to do to take care of yourself is to maintain blood sugars correctly and blood pressure correctly and try and get those things in line so whatever kidney function you have, is maintained, and that makes the treatment so much easier. People who have kidney disease have so much to learn, and they have to be their own advocate. I mean, they need to know their body and help the healthcare professionals. I mean, they can't leave everything to just like, oh, I gained five kilos, just fix me. You know, they have to really take an active role. Um, can we talk a little bit about blood pressure medication? Because um, I know that, you know, I've heard some <laughs> patients do, they tell me like, oh, I'm on three or four blood pressure medicines. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, do, do you know, to make sure that your doctor knows all the medicines you're on and when to take them. So give us a little overview on that. Well, it's not unusual for anyone with hypertension, whether it's a dialysis patient or not, to be on what they call multi-drug therapy. Um, it, 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 the reason being that these medications all work in different ways. And when you have cardiovascular disease, one thing affects the other. In other words, if you have, you know, congestive heart failure and you've got this fluid overload issue, you're putting a lot of pressure on your vessels, so then your vessels end up getting stiff, your heart ends up getting a little floppy. So there's different medicines that work different ways. Some of the medications might have you put out more urine, like the diuretics, the Lasix, that kind of thing. Now, when you're on dialysis, sometimes that one's not necessary anymore. But in the in the interim, a lot of patients are on diuretics, which actually put out extra fluid. Um, other ones work on just relaxing the blood vessels or increasing the heart's output. So they work in different ways, and that's why a lot of times you see these days actually combination medications. And that's why I always recommend to patients if they're on a couple of different ones, because the pill burden on our dialysis patients is so heavy. If there's any way that a doctor can recommend a combination drug, you know, something that's maybe a, a diuretic and a calcium channel blocker, which is another type that relaxes the vessels, mm-hmm. you know, and that way you get two for the price of one. You right. know, I mean, I don't know that the price literally, but in general, as far as the pill burden, you're taking one pill instead of two. I, I know. So, and, and then long-acting drugs are another thing that I think it's important to ask the doctor about because rather than taking a pill two or three times a day, sometimes you can get down to one time a day with some of the longer acting drugs that are out now. Well, when I was having some blood pressure problems, and it was so important, you know, my physician says, I want you to take your blood pressure every day in the morning and night, and I want you to write it down. Because if you just take a snapshot when you're in the clinic, it's not going to be an accurate uh, It's actually a worst-case scenario. 
is not a real case scenario. And then, you know, I had a couple of different therapies. Luckily, today I'm on no blood pressure medicine with this wonderful transplant. But I was on a long-term acting blood pressure medication, which I took once a day. And then I had another blood pressure medicine that was short acting if my blood pressure just shot up for some reason. Yes, and, yes. And, and I still use that, that you know, methodology. Um, it, it's good to get the control with the long-term drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the drugs that are short acting have what they call rebound. So especially clonidine is one that's notorious for this. If you, you know, you take it to bring your blood pressure down, but it can actually pop it back up when it wears off. When it comes so back down. Those kind of medications not to stop them abruptly. If you're on something like clonidine or catapress, those are the same medicine basically. It's important not to just decide I'm not going to take that anymore and stop it because the result is a rebound hypertension. Right. Your blood pressure can actually go up higher after you just abruptly stop those kind of medications. So now, medications, blood pressure medications really have to be overseen by the cardiologist or the nephrologist very closely. Well, and it was interesting. My physician ordered me a blood pressure patch, which I put on once a week. And um, this was the first time I ever had a medication error that was serious at home. The patch, actually, he gave me a one, and it was a three. Oh, that's... that's and I didn't, I, I didn't check it. You know, I just took put the patch on. I'm like, I can't get up. My blood pressure is so low. And yeah, then I, I didn't... I, I know, but it was a very important lesson because, you know, you know, as I don't have to say, a one and a three are vastly different, but... Um, it was a medication error, and I just kind of, like, didn't know what was going on. I had to take the patch off once I found it, but it still was in my system, and it took me about two days. So, in addition... I think it's really important for patients to understand, because when I ask patients what medications are you on for your blood pressure, mm-hmm. a lot of times they just kind of don't know, or they'll know the drug but not the dose. And I think it's really important for them to keep a list and stay on top of that and make sure it's accurate. Because if something happens and you end up in the hospital, they're going to need to know what dose you're on, not just drugs. No, I have a little list that I carry with me in my purse, but I didn't understand one and three. I mean, that was a different dose for me. I was used to like 60 milligrams, 80 milligrams, so I just saw number one, number three. It didn't mean anything to me. Well, and, 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 you know, you really can't look a drug from one drug to another one you know, blood pressure pill could be 20 milligrams and one's 120 and then 120 is less strong. And it really, you can't look at the number after a medication and compare it to another medication. Right. Well, that was my first and last time ever taking a patch. I mean, you yeah, know, after no, I was done with it. Yeah, the patches are actually very good, but mm-hmm. you just got the wrong dose. I know, so I did my it. point being, when you pick up medications or you get medications from the pharmacy, to really know that, hey, wait, this isn't the dose I'm on. And, know, and if you know your medication list and your dose, you can check that right away. And any time a new persistence picked up, that should be done, especially on things mm-hmm. that are critical with blood pressure medicine. It is. Okay? I mean, because look at that bottle and say, oh, wait a minute, this isn't how I take it, or this isn't my name. <laughs> I know. You know? I, was, I mean, really, that needs to be looked at. It, it happens. I mean, I've had it happen a couple of times that I've caught in my, um, I had a vitamin D prescription that was fill, fill, filled wrong. I had this blood pressure a patch that was filled wrong, and you know, you think it can't happen to you, but it can. One more note on that on that particular thing we were just talking about is making sure that you don't have one bottle of a generic pill in the same bottle in a brand name. Because I've had patients bring their medications in and they pile them on the counter, and they've got two bottles that they're taking, and they're the same medications. One oh, wow. is given out in generic, methetidine, and they've got the cardia right next to it. Wow, and they're and taking they're, them both because they don't realize it. So you really have to clarify with the pharmacy. Is this, you know, that this is 
you know both the names of the medication and whatever they're giving you. You have to be a professional pill taker. <laughs> we should get a PhD in professional pill taking. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should offer that course. Well, tell us a little bit about taking blood pressure medicine before dialysis. What do you tell your patients? Well, and, and again, we're back to the very individual line of care, okay? So what I look at with a dialysis patient is, first of all, most blood pressure medications do not dialyze out because I do have people say, oh, I don't take them because they're going to be washed out in the treatment. I take them later. And here they're coming into the unit with 180 over 90 blood pressure. And did you take your pills this morning? No, because those just get washed out. And here they're in for their treatment at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. So basically, they're not going to be taking that pill until 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Meanwhile, their blood pressure... Because perhaps it's not all volume-related. Remember, patients had hypertension before they came on dialysis. So those vessels could be tight. The heart could be pumping too hard. It's not always just fluid. So that combination, when they when they don't take the medication and come in with these high blood pressures, that can be a problem. And when I have a patient that comes in in the morning with a blood pressure that's very high, what that tells me is, did you take blood pressure pills last night? Well, yeah, I took my pills last night. Well, guess what? Those pills need to be adjusted because you should not be coming, waking up in the morning with a blood pressure of 200 over 100 right. if that met pill the night before was working, right? We're not talking about the pill that you were supposed to take this morning right now. We're talking about the one last night because through the night, that blood pressure was probably high. So what? that's a very big, very big concern for me when I see patients. Three dialysis blood pressure is really high, even, and they don't say have a lot of weight gain. And I know it's their best interest, and they need the medication before they come into their treatment anyway. And the medicine has to be adjusted. You know, one of the things um, my physician told me, which I was surprised to learn, was that when you wake up in the morning, that's when your blood pressure is the most high. Yep. Yes, and I thought high. it's contrary because you think, oh, you're rested and relaxed. And then explain, no, you need a high blood pressure. Your blood pressure needs to be a little bit higher to actually wake up. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I found that shocking. It's so high it's during the night, actually, too. When you think about it, you're laying down. When you're up walking around, your blood's moving. You've got gravity on your side that keeps the blood. When you're laying flat, that blood is rushing to the floor. Right, so no. that also gives your heart more volume. And then again, the day before dialysis, when you wake up, you've got whatever extra fluid you have that's also, you know, compromising the heart and the blood pressure. Well, you know, high blood pressure, low blood pressure, I mean, people who are on dialysis are going to probably experience both in some fashion or another, and you need to do anything you can to minimize low or high blood pressure because a lot of times having high blood pressure, some of the treatment can cause low blood pressure, and some of the treatment with low blood pressure can cause high blood pressure. So can you maybe just recap some of the things that people listening can do to you know manage their blood pressure in addition to talking to their healthcare team, but what can they do on their own? Yes, there's a couple things. And again, back to fluid management, which I know is very difficult, but it is one of the key factors for dialysis patients is fluid management, um, watching the sodium, keeping your nutritional level good. Um, again, those weight gains in between treatments. Taking your medication the way it's prescribed. I have several patients who will just randomly start changing their medicines around because they felt that they needed to change them. And, and you know, it really needs to be looked at with a pre you know, an early blood pressure and in the morning and then a blood pressure before bed or in the evening. Write those down. If you have a problem with the blood pressure, just log them because that tells us as providers when we need to adjust the medication. Right. Right, exactly. One of the other things that people on dialysis, especially new on dialysis, 
could would maybe appreciate knowing is that oftentimes when you're in the pre-dialysis stages and you're not really on the treatment yet, but you're being managed and they keep adding more and more medicines to you and, you know, you, now you've got this heart pill and now you've got that diuretic and you've got all these different blood pressure pills, once you get on dialysis and we start getting those, those that sodium down and we start getting your nutrition up and we start, uh, you know, really managing the fluid volume, that kind of thing. I have patients in here now that were on six and seven different blood pressure pills and now they're on none. Right. So that's an extreme case, but oftentimes once you start dialysis and you stick with the program and you get your blood cleaned up and you get the fluid volume in balance, sometimes those medications just can go away. We can taper them down and taper them down and eventually get rid of some of them. And that's not unusual with our patient population. No. That's kind of the, the plus side when you go on to dialysis with all these medications, you think this is the living in. It's really not. Actually, that's one of the things that we can start kind of peeling off a little bit as your blood pressure starts getting under control. Well, I know, too, that, you know, once, you know, a, a lot of times when people start dialysis, they feel really bad or they're on. But, you know, being active, exercising, I mean, I know that's important for your blood vessels that you need to move because if you don't move them, then they don't, you know, you don't move Weight it, you lose it. is important. And if you, and even whatever movement you can do is going to be very, very helpful, just like it is for anybody, you know, and, and especially for dialysis patients. The other thing that, you know, that kind of thing, exercising, just walking. We're talking just walking for 30 minutes. Right. Or after dinner, just take a walk. Um, the other thing that does for you is it's just such a stress relief. And it it is a stress. going on in these patients' lives, it's stressful, like we all have stress, but this isn't a pretty exceptional. Um, it's just a good relief to just get out and breathe some fresh air and walk. Take the dog out, go out with your spouse or your significant other and just Take a walk. Well, because stress does contribute to blood pressure, and you have to figure out stress reduction type of techniques. And, you know, the thing that you touched upon quickly before closing is that um, having enough albumin, eating enough protein is critical to helping, um, you know, the dialysis process remove fluid. In addition, sodium is talked a lot about, like, you know, about 1,500 milligrams a day is kind of the average, you know, for people. But I don't think albumin is expressed as much in the fluid removal. Well, and albumin is kind of a a, a word that patients don't see all the time because you don't go into the store and see this has got so much albumin in it. Right, and it's protein. protein. I know, protein. So protein is what we're looking at, and that's reflected in the albumin lab value. But when you go into a store and you're looking for low sodium and you're looking for, you know, this, you know, lactose-free, milk-free, and all this stuff, the thing you want to look for is high protein. Right. And, you know, egg whites, fish, chicken, that kind of thing is really being pushed on our patients. What protein does is it acts as a, what's called an osmotic. And basically it stays, it doesn't go into your tissue. Protein stays in your blood vessels and it, because it gets, if you have enough of it in there, it actually helps pull fluid in there to try and dilute down the protein. So right. as you have higher levels of protein, it actually helps remove fluid. Right. So that's why it's very important. Aside from just the nutritional factors, it helps in healing, it helps just the general, you know, well-being, but in terms of our fluid removal, it's a huge factor. In the hospital, actually, when we do acute dialysis patients that are very ill, we'll often just transfuse albumin for the simple reason of maintaining a blood pressure. Right. And that's if we're just pouring albumin straight into the veins so that it would draw fluid so we can pull it off. This is a very complex topic, and I really thank you, Sandy, for touching upon some of the different issues about um, blood pressure and dialysis. 
I mean, you really need to um, have a discussion with your healthcare professional, learn what's best. Um, if you're not the one who's cooking or somebody else's, you need to draw them into the conversation too, because sodium, if you don't control your sodium, you can't control your fluid and you can't control your blood pressure. And Period. blood sugars are right along with that. <laughs> your diabetic keeps those blood sugars yeah. in control. Blood sugars, you'll be thirsty and you won't be able to control um, your fluid management goals. So um, thank you, Sandy. Um, I just want to let people know that they can also see Sandy's printed article on our website. It's number web ID 984. And you could print that out and share it with some of your friends or some of your patients if you're listening so they can get a better idea of how to control their blood pressure um, and, you know, have a happy, healthier life. So thank you, Sandy. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Lori. You have a good day. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.